name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. After 15 long months, they were there. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark had dreamed about this moment for years. Their Corps of Discovery team had endured much. The elements, even a month-long detour around a waterfall, and the death of a colleague and friend. They sought to find a passageway, a waterway that would connect the Pacific Ocean to the mighty Mississippi. It was believed to hold the key to financial stability for any country in this continent as a practical water route for commerce across the continent. Countless countries, countless expeditions had sought it out. One by one, their teams and their maps failed. And now, under the commissioning of President Jefferson, Lewis and Clark's team were moments away from seeing it with their own eyes, or so they thought. As they reached the bottom of a hill, uh, Lewis scooped up some water in his hand and refreshed himself for just a moment, likely puzzling out all that awaited him. His mind may have raced with those who had gone before, the failed maps, his recalculations along the way, and what awaited them as they crested that hill. As they did, they couldn't be more disappointed or distraught when they reached the top of that hill because instead of seeing a little slope give down to the Columbia River with their canoes on backs that they thought they would just hop in and row back to tell everyone what they had found, charting a new map, being the final ones who would actually make this discovery. Instead, when they crested the hill, there awaited them the Rocky Mountains. As they looked down on that valley, they saw the most towering and widespread set of peaks that anyone had laid eyes upon. They had seen the Smokies. Yes, that was a set of mountains, but not like this. Not that tall, not that vast, not that sprawling. So they had a choice. Would they pitch their canoes, which obviously had no use now, and press on? Would they throw out their maps and begin to chart a new course as they went? Or would they, distraught and discouraged, give up and turn back like every other expedition had done? History bears witness to their choice, and one that left them going from what they thought would be hard to easier, going from hard to even harder. And so they made that choice. And I share this with you this morning because I think we have that in us. Hard should give way to times of rest, should give way to easier moments, should give way to what we'd expect. The tools we've acquired should continue to serve us well. All that we have amounted in our efforts and our labors should amount to something. And we import this to our faith more often than not. We even teach it faultily at times as we call others to follow Jesus. And yet this morning stands before us a passage that confronts us with the contrary. In many ways, it stands as the Rockies did before Lewis and Clark, posing to us the very same question. 
Will we press on? Will we leave our expectations, the canoes of our own fashioning behind? Or will we give up and turn away? The passage to which I refer is the one that we just heard moments ago from Mark's gospel. And I'd invite you, if you would, to look back at it with me in your Bible or follow along on the screens in chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Now, as you orient to it, let's orient where we are in Scripture. Remember what precedes this immediately, both physically and metaphorically. Jesus and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are coming down off the mountain as Jesus had just been transfigured, shining brightly in his glory. And there, as Moses and Elijah met them, God affirms once more who Jesus is, namely, the Son of God. And as they come off the mountain and rejoin the disciples, they, we see, walk up and discover utter bedlam. The disciples are arguing that the scribes, crowds press in around them, trying to make sense of it all. The chaos is almost palpable. But then something happens in verse 15. All turn and what? Are amazed when they see Jesus. There's a shift when Jesus enters the scene. Everything begins to change. Yes, Jesus' fame was well known. Yes, his garments may still have shown. But there's something about Jesus' presence when he enters the scene that just changes everything. They couldn't even articulate it, perhaps, at that point. Because at that point, like every other point, as we will see as this unfolds, um, they came to Jesus seeking their own ends. They had their own expectations. They come rushing to Jesus because they'd seen firsthand or perhaps heard how he's healed, how he had blessed those who came to him, and here they all are pressing in around Jesus in this moment, and as they come, Jesus confronts them. But as we look at that in just a moment, let's pause and not gloss over this valuable moment here in verse 15. As we think about that question, um, whether we will press on with Jesus or whether we will turn back in our journey with him in spite of all that faces us these days, the first thing we must do in looking at that is ask ourselves similarly, what is our expectation of Jesus? Do we want him merely to fix the things in our lives, in our world, so that we can go back to things as they used to be or as we want them to be? Or do we truly want him to reign and rule as king? Do we want a mere moral GPS that we can turn to when life gets rough and then we can kind of ignore when we've got it again? Or are we willing to follow him intently every single day? Do we just want a spiritual Google that we can ask questions to make sense of the hardships of life or one that we will base our very lives and days upon? What drives you to come and worship him? Is it to pay him homage or to get something from him? When we join his family, the household of faith, the church, what's our expectation? To find stability, those like us, or to go and do all that Jesus taught and commanded? You see, those here in the text flock to Jesus for their own ends, and Jesus confronts their expectations, and so we must, in the silence of our own hearts, take inventory 
of what brings us before him? Is it his goodness, his blessing, all byproducts of who he is, or is it he himself? And that is where Jesus begins to address them back in verse 16, if you'll look there with me. As they get into the scene, Jesus assesses this chaotic situation. He first asks the disciples what all the fuss is about, and the text seems to say that even before the disciples can utter a word, this man in the crowd pipes up to um, explain both what is going on, but also to vocalize, perhaps right out of the gates, what his expectation is of Jesus that has prompted this whole scene. And after listening to him, Jesus responds with exasperation in their unbelief. Now, when we see unbelief, we often think of skepticism or a lack of uh, belief in who Jesus is. But in many ways, what Jesus points to here is their failure to respond to Jesus' message. Now, what was that message in Mark's gospel? It comes right out of the gates in the first words of Jesus captured therein, namely that they should repent and believe the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and they had a choice to make. Yet, from every moment, from that moment up to this, they had not truly repented nor believed. They hadn't repented of lesser goals, lesser traditions, lesser things. They'd clung to the comforts of canoes and expectations later, rather than embracing the fullness of God's kingdom that Jesus had promised was coming in the here and now. Now, had they, had they submitted to him, it would have led them to go and do and embrace the very things that Jesus said. And yet, they came time and time again with their expectation to see signs, to see wonders, to have their bellies filled. Even when they asked Jesus, remember the rich young ruler, what must it take to inherit eternal life. And looking at him, knowing his particular circumstance, Jesus tells him exactly what it will take. And what does he do? He turns away. Master, where do you rest? Foxes have holes, Jesus says, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He tells them what their expectation should be if they come to him. And yet, really what they seek is the byproduct of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of God itself in all of its fullness. And so for we who hear these words, what about us? Are we the same? I know I am at times. Will we repent and believe in the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand? And if the answer is yes, then will that shape and reshape every moment of our days and our lives? Now, I know I'm talking to a room of mostly churched folk. Um, so when I say repent and believe, while it does include that moment of decision to turn to Jesus, which if you've never made such a moment, is the starting point, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing to choose to be kings of our own kingdoms or to allow Jesus to reign and rule, to be consumed by Jesus instead of being consumers of Jesus. Being with Jesus, believing in Jesus, is repentance and belief time and time again, turning from those things that are lesser goals and ends in themselves, both individually and even corporately as a church. 
means letting go of some things, recognizing the next season where we're going may not even have a charted course, and the tools, the resources, dare I say, even the committees and ministries we have may not be there yet to get us where we're going next. It isn't easy, but that was never the promise. In fact, let's look at where this ends and what the promise is that we find therein at the end of this teaching, back in verse 22. After Jesus hears what's wrong with this man's son and calls forth not just the unbelief of this man or even the crowd, but the disciples as well, we see that he owns his unbelief, right? If you can heal my son, and Jesus repeats back, if you can, um, everything is possible for those who believe. We like to lift that out as kind of like a life verse. It sounds great, but in context, it challenges us to really consider what that means. That yes, indeed, all things are possible for him or her who believes, but it doesn't mean that all things will be easy. That was never the promise. That was never the assurance. Yet God in his goodness in Jesus Christ um, does indeed heal this man's son. But as this happens, we should note that at this point in the gospel, there's a hinging point that moves towards the cross. Things up to this point have kind of come easy at times. Jesus shows up, people are healed, uh, deliverances happen, people come to faith in Jesus, but here it gets hard. Jesus is removed. This is after the disciples have been sent out, after they've done this several times prior. And yet as they come back, what happens? The disciples are struggling. The, the man is struggling. The crowd is struggling. Everybody's struggling with what's going on. And Jesus doesn't just fix it, but uses it as a teaching moment that we should heed as well, that indeed times often do go from hard to harder in life. Christian life is not a promise that we come to faith in Jesus and plop our canoes in the lazy river of life and life gets easy. The promise of Jesus is that he will be with us always, even unto the end. That's where the gospel leaves off. And so as we puzzle that, as we think about that, what will we do with it? Will we press in or will we turn back? When the hill gives way to the Rockies and not the Columbia River that we'd hoped for, what will we do when hard gets harder? Because doing the things that Jesus taught and said are not easy. When rubber meets the road and we must forgive, it's a whole lot easier to hold and nurse a grudge. When we must turn the other cheek, and as we were reminded in James last week, keep our mouth shut at times, it's a whole lot easier than popping off and walking away. Um, there's no easiness about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means more of our time. It means more of our commitment. It means more of our very lives. And should we expect anything less from the one who gave it all for us, who after this moment used all of his physical and spiritual endurance, Jesus that is, to climb the rock to complete the walk on the hill of Calvary, and every time you enter a church, you are reminded of how hard it was, so that we should not expect anything less. And yet, this gospel reminds us, are we going to be with him to the end? Will we endure to the end? 
and we must evaluate our own expectations and our own hearts. We must repent of those areas whereby we have disbelieved and embrace the fullness of the gospel. And then we must finally press in. Because here's the good news. At the end of that reading, there's this kind of almost cryptic teaching of Jesus, right? After the disciples, after the dust is settled and they're away with Jesus, they say, why couldn't we cast that one out? And Jesus says, this one can only come out by prayer. Didn't mean that they needed to muster more spiritual gusto to get it out. It meant that they really needed to press in when things went from hard to harder. The moments they hadn't seen, when Jesus would be the one left at the end of the day while they would go on a hill, on a hill by himself, pressing in to prayer with his heavenly Father. The moments he got up early to spend time with the Lord before they marched on to the next town. Those are the moments where Jesus modeled for us that we see what we are called to do. Those are the moments that when hard goes from harder, when we look down at the Rockies of whatever they may be, that we could name them in our own lives or our culture, it's there that we must press in, not pull ourselves up and press on, but press in in prayer because their strength will be found to continue on and complete the journey. It won't be easy, but Jesus will be with us. My friends, that's the chapter we're entering here as a church. Not just us locally here at St. Barnabas, but I believe um, really in the West right now, that's where we are as a church. Hard goes to harder. But the promise is Jesus will be with us. It will require more of your time, more of your focus, more of your commitment. But ultimately, that's the call to follow Jesus. It isn't just to let him reign and rule over three quarters or one quarter or one eighth of our lives, of our choosing. But it's, it's either all in or not. That's the call. So as I wrestle with this, as you wrestle with this, I invite you to consider that question. Will you press in and press on with me at such a time as this? Or will you turn back? For those of you who are ready and willing to press in and press on, it's time to leave behind your canoes and grab your climbing gear and follow Jesus forward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.